0: I'm Thanasi Kambanis. Welcome to the Order from Ashes podcast. Today, I'm joined by Two Century International colleagues, Sam Heller and Aaron Lund, and we're going to talk about the Ukraine war's impact on Syria. But before we begin, I just want to talk to you for a minute about a special thing we have coming up for you later this month. Uh, We have an all new self-contained season of Order from Ashes uh, that's hosted by Naira Antoon, and it's built around our Transnational Trends in Citizenship project. That podcast is going to launch April 25th, and we're going to have eight episodes of experts from the Middle East, North Africa, the United States, and Europe talking about what they learn when they look at their different uh, areas of expertise across region and across the world. Uh, so I look forward to sharing that with you and giving you a chance to listen uh, starting April 25th. Now uh back to the regular podcast. Uh, I've got Aaron on the line from Stockholm and Sam on the line from Beirut. Uh, thank you both for joining us.
1: thank you. Hello yeah good to be good to be here.
0: So although we're going to be tempted to talk about, any and everything related to uh, how the Ukraine war connects to uh, the region and to Syria, I think today we're going to try and keep this uh, conversation focused on Syria specifically. Uh, And I want to start by asking you, Sam, uh, especially because you have a report out on this just now, uh, what are the direct impacts on Syria uh, of of this war, the
1: Ukraine war? So there's been a lot of uh, kind of media conversation about Syria's nexus to Ukraine, uh, like as relates to uh, kind of the Syrian government's vocal support for Russia in Ukraine, uh, Syria possibly sending uh, mercenaries uh, to fight alongside the Russians in Ukraine, uh, parallels between the, you know the, the the way the Russians fought in Syria uh, and then the way that uh, they are currently you know waging war in Ukraine, but then. I wanted to uh, to focus on uh, kind of two aspects uh, of how the U- Ukraine conflict is already or is about to affect Syria um, that sort of dovetailed with a lot of the work that I've done uh, with Century Foundation over the past year. Um, so principally, uh, it seems that the war in Ukraine uh, is about to exacerbate humanitarian conditions uh, in Syria. Um the war's effects on uh, global uh, grain and energy markets uh, will be uh, acutely felt uh, in Syria um, you know it's someplace uh, where you know the the situation of Syrians uh, was already uh, extremely kind of precarious and difficult um, and then secondarily uh, I think that we're we're likely to see a an impact on Syria diplomacy and on humanitarian diplomacy in particular, um, just because a lot of the uh, important humanitarian compromises that we've seen on Syria over the past year were underpinned by a U.S.-Russian dialogue um, on kind of cross-border humanitarian assistance to Syria's northwest and related issues uh, that now, in light of you know, Russia's uh, conduct in Ukraine, uh, seems over.
0: So we'll get we'll get into more detail on both of these things: the the humanitarian consequences and the diplomatic consequences. Uh, but before we we dig in deeper, I want to turn to you, Aaron, um, and ask: uh, Do you uh, would you add any any extra categories to this? I mean, so so I guess the parameters here are: uh, we're avoiding the symbolic and the vague, and we're looking at Tangible, measurable uh, ways in which the the Ukraine conflict is going to affect uh, the the reality of Syria. Uh, are there any things beyond humanitarian and 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 diplomatic uh, displacement that 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 you think we should put on our agenda today?
2: Well, I think I mean there's always a, a risk that you'll have a military flare-up in Syria as a consequence of the Ukraine war, it, especially if relations between Russia and Turkey were to go south. Then, then there could be something in Idlib, or you could have Russia or the United States. More probably, Russia, or the Russian, you know, the, Rus- the, the Russian side with Assad and the others, uh, trying something in the northeast of Syria to put pressure on the United States or you know, signal things there. Uh, so that could happen, or you could have actors in Syria trying to exploit the situation without the the uh, permission or the coordination of their with their uh, their external patrons. Uh, so that that could be something. Um, there's a lot of talk about mercenaries, Syrians being recruited to fight in Ukraine. Uh, you know, we haven't really seen that happen yet. And I think the number is banded about 16,000 or 40,000 or, or that's just fantasy. And I don't think it will, you know, if it happens, eventually I imagine, you know, some Syrians will turn up probably, uh, because people have promised they will. Uh, but I don't think that will affect Syria in any meaningful way. Um, but but so that's something to watch for a military flare-up in Syria, um, and then there's just if, if this is a drawn-out war, it could be taxing for Russia to to um, to supply its forces in Syria in various ways because now you have Turkey has shut the Bosporus for for military traffic, for example, for Russia or for for anyone really. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think there could be knock-on effects, uh, but we haven't seen that yet.
0: All right. Well, that, I think that that lays our our table nicely to have sort of three three subjects here: one, humanitarian; uh, two, diplomacy; three, uh, military spinoff effects. Um, let's let's start off uh, with the the humanitarian angle. Um, in your uh, in your report, Aaron, uh, Aaron, sorry, in your report, Sam, uh, you talk a lot about the food security issues, and you also talk about the uh, uh, the sort of general economic constraints that are going to hit the region as energy prices go up. Um, I want to add one other, uh, one other thing to that list, uh, as we turn to you, and that's the, uh, the sort of displacement of international donor money, which, uh, I presume, although I, ha- I haven't seen specific numbers on this, I presume that a lot of the international funds that have flowed to Syria are just going to be diverted, uh, in practice, uh, to the emergency of, of of refugees and IDPs around around the Ukraine. So, um, let let's talk a little bit uh, uh, in in specifics about how uh, how this is going to affect. Uh, hunger, food prices, uh, uh, livelihoods, and and really sort of gut level uh, ability of, of Syrians to, to 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 live and and function. Uh, yeah, I mean, first,
1: yes, I think that it's likely that uh, you know that aid money uh, will be diverted elsewhere. Um, I mean, it seems that uh, you know some of these these donor funds are already limited. Uh, their budgets are stretched. Uh, you know, and then the demands are many, uh, both kind of for Aid overseas uh and at home, you know, after uh like an exceptionally like difficult uh, uh economic period. Uh, what's the pandemic. what's
0: what's the scale of, of international aid that's going to Syria right now and what's the amount of, of early recovery aid that, that was hoped for in the in the coming period before Ukraine changed the landscape?
1: Uh I don't know the dollar figure off the top of my head. I know that the uh, uh humanitarian uh UN humanitarian coordinator. Uh, has talked about uh, roughly a quarter uh, of the coming year's budget being uh, dedicated to uh, early recovery or resilience assistance. Um, so that was the, uh, that's apparently how they've been planning. Um, I mean, that said, you know, I mean, I have heard from, uh, you know, I had a a, a diplomat uh, say to me uh, earlier this week that, uh, I mean, at least... Uh, he thought that Syria would fare better than some other countries just because, I mean, Syria is a, um, you know, a conflict that is familiar, uh, to governments, uh, the refugee crisis is something that was very, um, immediate, uh, including for, uh, for European donors. Uh, and then, so, you know, some kind of interest in contribution to Syria, uh, is likely to, uh, uh, to continue. Whereas, you know, interest in like Lebanon, for example, uh, maybe not so much.
0: Or Iraq. Sure. Um, what about hunger? Um, Are people going to go hungry as a result of this, both financial and grain supply disruption?
1: Yeah. I mean, so that, yes. So that is the, I mean, that is the, uh, the main issue here. Right. Um, so I think that kind of food insecurity in Syria, Syria has been experiencing, experiencing a, uh, a hunger crisis for, uh, for over two years now um it is multi-causal um i mean that was the intent with uh, this uh, food security paper that uh, that we published last year was attempting to kind of to disaggregate to pick apart these many kind of causal factors that went into it which is a tricky thing to do and to you know to explain in any way that makes sense um so it relates to uh lebanon's economic crisis relates to the coronavirus pandemic to the intensification uh, of western sanctions on syria um and then the but the kind of the principal, uh it seems reason for kind of this widespread uh food insecurity in syria um currently uh, per un estimates uh, about 12 million Syrians of a population of a little more than 21, um, is, it's basically an issue of, uh, Syrians crushed purchasing power. Um, it's just that Syrians are, uh, too poor to, uh, you know, to afford to feed themselves and their families. Um, and then I think that, uh, if you look at some UN aid documents, then they, they chart what they call, uh, like variously an income gap or an income, uh, deficit, uh, whereby, um, you know, Syrian households, average incomes and expenditures had been roughly even, uh, as of 2019, but then because of Syria's kind of all encompassing mutating, uh, economic crisis, uh, those diverged. Um, and so now, uh, Assyrian households, average expenses uh, are about uh, 50% more than their average income. Uh, So what that means is that, I mean, people, um, you know, I mean, they they can't eat, right? So it means that uh, uh, people skip meals, uh, parents skip meals so their children can eat. Um, There's a resort to uh, what uh, humanitarians call... uh, uh, negative coping strategies or coping mechanisms, uh, including like the the selling of uh, household property, of productive assets, so uh, child labor, child
0: marriage. I don't want to I don't want to cut you off as you outline this real horrifying humanitarian condition. Uh, but I want to keep us focused on how this connects to the 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 Ukraine war and and the spinoff effects. Um, how will the conflict in Ukraine affect that food insecurity in Syria?
1: Well, I mean, the conflict has uh, uh, it has disrupted uh, uh, global grains and energy markets. Um, Ukraine and Russia are together; uh, they they uh, uh, supply some 30% uh, of wheat uh, to global markets. Uh, in addition to to other critical staples, uh, sunflower oil uh, is another, uh, and then one that is uh, you know an important part of uh, of Syrian diets. Um, so the sudden disruptions to supplies of these uh, of these goods, um, they can be sourced from elsewhere, but uh, you know the the prices uh, are going up dramatically, uh, and then that is going to further jeopardize uh, these hungry Syrians uh, who are already uh, struggling to uh, uh, to afford what they need. Um, it seems that the most immediate impact. Uh, will be because of the rising price of fuel uh, and its pass-through effect uh, on the price of goods. Uh, in addition to kind of the price of uh, of transportation, which matters for Syrians' ability to uh, to access local markets to shop. Um, but uh, you know, we may also uh, be looking at uh, uh, at kind of at hiccups, at uh, problems in the supplies of uh, uh, of wheat, which Syrians need uh, for bread. Um, is the the kind of the rock bottom, the staple uh, of uh, of Syrian diets, um, as well as other uh, kind of necessary uh, necessary supplies. Uh, so it's going to make a what is already a a, a dire situation. I think just much worse. Uh,
0: so Aaron, uh, let let me ask you, uh, especially from the vantage point of both a Syria watcher and someone who's who's looking at how how Europe and European countries are. Adjusting both to uh, the new reality in Ukraine uh, and the, to the old old reality in Syria, do you see uh, uh, changes or, or or a loss of interest in engaging, a loss of interest in spending money? on this frozen conflict in, in, in Syria. Uh, and and in particular, I know there's some, some governments in Europe, uh, that are in favor of, of early recovery aid and other governments in Europe that are really opposed to spending any money in Syria at all, especially as they blame, uh, Iran and, and, and Russia for propping up the Assad regime and have sort of taken the position that those, those governments, uh, should, uh, should take care of the needs of Syrians. Uh, how, how do you see that, that landscape?
2: Well, I think that's, you know, I, I, I think as, as Sam pointed out, I think the, the just the, the general crunch on, you know, the, 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 the pressure on aid budgets that has come after the Corona crisis and, the you know, now with Ukraine, uh, eating into, to aid spending as well and also just refugee reception in Europe. A lot of countries actually use their aid budgets to finance that. So that'll eat up some aid money as well. And, and, um, so I think that, that is something that will put pressure on Syria this year, next year. Um, but as for the political effect of seeing countries um, change their view of how aid money should be spent, I don't think we've seen that yet. Um, I haven't heard anything to that effect. I think it's possible. I think, you know, the, the reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine in Europe, I mean, all over the world, but in Europe specifically, has been so intense that people are looking now for any area where you can put pressure back on Russia and to the extent that Syria is identified as something that's you know dear to Russia's heart that, that the Assad regime is or you know Russia is pushing to have more money spent on early recovery you know other you know, they they want other nations to finance aid for Syrians but they want more of it um, if that's seen as a russian request then maybe there will be voices now that 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 want to deny that just because it comes from russia and that would be destructive i think it wouldn't be a rational response to this because the the uh, these issues are not you know um i i think this is something that there's actually a, a common interest in making syria function um nobody likes the Assad regime nobody in europe at least but it is what it is uh and the you know imperative here is to make sure that Syrians don't end up starving in addition to living under a dictator.
0: Yeah. And one, one of the things I find most uh, dismaying, especially when I, you know, follow Sam's work on, on the specific issue of of, of hunger and insecurity uh, is it it seems to me like there's a really uh, awful and perverse experiment underway uh, whether this is by design or, or by, by, by neglect to see just how much misery, uh, these, this population can support before it actually collapses into, into famine or, or, or something, uh, equally, uh, equally bad. And, and, you know, it's a sort of, there, there's lots, lots of responsible parties here, but, but in, in terms of, of what we've watched unfold over the last couple of years, it is this like terrible, uh, experiment in what is the maximum sustainable amount of misery the Syrian population can withstand before it actually leads to some kind of of, of of mass death
2: i i think you do have that in in like certain people who want uh, syria to collapse economically for political reasons that exists i don't think it's a huge thing in in like national strategies in europe or even in the united states and uh, maybe under the trump government it was um but it, it's more a, an issue of people not really connecting these issues to each other and just saying that you know the the well it's assad's fault anyway so what, what does it matter what we do well, of course it matters what we do, you know. We, but whether it's, you know, sanctions, they're not responsible for everything, but they, they, they do have an effect on the situation. Whether it's how aid money is spent, of course it matters. So, and and of course it is us's fault, you know. But <laughs> having having said that, now what do we do, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there were Trump administration officials kind of at the, when the, uh, Max pressure campaign uh, hit its apotheosis in sort of middle, uh, early middle 2020, um, you know, who were pointing seemingly excitedly at, uh, at protests in Sweda, uh, at, uh, you know, some of uh, Rami uh, uh videos that he was issuing uh, from his house outside Damascus, you know, uh, thinking that it was kind of evidence of, of cracks in uh, serious regime. Uh, and then also, at you know, just kind of the um, the the real spiral of uh, Syria's economy generally. The uh, you know the the uh, depreciation rapidly of the uh, of the lira, um, you know, as kind of evidence that that sanctions were hitting, uh, that pressure was working. Um, but then you know, several years later, where are we, right? I mean, like it has not. I mean, this this type of pressure uh, it has not. Uh, uh, produced useful political outcomes. And then now, yeah, I mean, Syrians are under uh, uh, incredible pressure. Um, Thanks in part
0: to us. By us, you mean the United States government. I'm sure Aaron Aaron doesn't feel like he's got a a stake in that. Okay, Uh, we'll take a quick, uh, quick break, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to the Order from Ashes podcast. Uh, I'm talking today with Sam Heller in Beirut and Aaron Lund in Stockholm about the effects on Syria of the war in Ukraine. Sam, Aaron, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast before the break we were talking about the humanitarian and aid impacts uh, on Syria of the Ukraine war uh and uh now for the second half of our conversation we're going to talk about first the diplomatic and then the military uh spin-off effects of of this war uh in in the report you published uh, for us uh, last week Sam uh i understood your your diagnosis to be one of of, of sort of uh opportunity cost that the um uh, that the big diplomatic hit for Syria is going to be that whatever goodwill and de facto uh, cooperation the U.S. and Syria, uh, sorry, the U.S. and Russia were willing to do on cross-border aid and other things, um, you know, while not everyone appreciates. Uh, its significance has been a major boon uh, for Syrians, and uh, and that uh, sort of quiet or, or or sort of in the corner cooperation uh, is likely to disappear now that it's a, a, a zero sum global contest between the two parties. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what? Um, what you expect to, to be lost or or uh, conversely what new problems you expect to be created for Syria uh, now that we're unlikely to see the us and Russia uh, working together at the security Council to address some of the more uh, uh, pointed and emergency uh, needs in Syria
1: yeah, I think opportunity cost is right I think that is that is also mostly my take um, but I mean this is also uh this is a case where the humanitarian and the diplomatic are very closely linked, right? Because I mean, this is a a, a U.S.-Russian conversation that had been uh, happening last year, uh, and that had had led to uh, Security Council Resolution twenty-five eighty-five, which effectively renewed cross-border aid uh, to the northwest for a year, and it came as sort of a package deal, right, including uh, a collective endorsement uh, of early recovery or resilience. Assistance in Syria uh, and then cross line aid from uh, areas of uh, of Syrian government control uh, to the northwest and then other kind of areas beyond uh, uh, Damascus's reach. Um, So now uh, it is, you know, I mean, I think that uh, with uh, the halt to those talks, then I think that the potential. Uh, for kind of whatever additional uh, compromises might have been achieved and might have benefited Syrians uh, has been squandered thanks to you know Russia's uh, uh actions in ukraine
0: and you know diplomatically we think in history about times during the cold war where the the u.s and, and the soviet union were able to collaborate on issues outside their sphere of influence is your sense that that won't be the case on syria because syria will be understood as a core russian interest and therefore one on which the u.s won't be willing to to make deals with it even if those deals benefit syrian civilians
1: no i mean i've just been you know i've been uh what I have uh, what I have heard in the course of talking to, to people, diplomats, et cetera, uh, is that you know these meetings. It's not as if it was kind of a a, a continuous, ongoing process uh, that suddenly stopped uh, the day that uh, uh, that Russia uh, invaded Ukraine. Uh, but it was you know it was a series of meetings, uh, and then now uh, there will not be another. Right that it's, it's done. I think that the, I mean, the, the U S is, it seems like they are uh, uh, deliberately limiting their interactions uh, with the Russians. Uh, And I think they're not alone in that either. Uh, I mean, this is something that I've additionally heard from, uh, from Europeans, you know, that they had been uh, engaging, I mean, not on necessarily on some of the same issues or some of the same outcomes, but uh, you know, they had been uh, talking with the Russians uh, on Syria and then like but then because of Ukraine, uh, they have uh, you know, they have received uh, the direction to, uh, uh, to sharply limit uh, their dealings and with then, Russian counterparts.
0: And then in, in July, cross-border aid is going to come up for reauthorization again at, at the UN Security yeah. Council. Is that right, July?
1: Yeah, and it can only go through with uh, Russia's assent. Right. I mean, either kind of Russia's aff- like affirmative vote uh, for it uh, or Russia's kind of passive acquiescence.
0: So so uh, in the lack of talks, how does that play out? It just comes up. And, and instead of knowing in advance that some deal has been reached, we'll we'll have a, a a suspenseful surprise vote at the Security Council where we'll wait to see what Russia will do at, at, the, at the last minute.
1: I mean, presumably there will be some kind of preliminary, uh, 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 I mean, first kind of posturing uh you know in uh, uh in the Security Council itself, um kind of signaling in that way, uh in addition to you know some kind of conversations, engagements, uh if not by Americans and by other uh, uh diplomats with Russian counterparts. So I think there there might be some kind of a sense going in. Um but uh you know I mean unless there is some change it's hard to you know it's hard to see like kind of a, a similar a compromise similar to what happened last year being produced. Right. And then with, with, without that, without, you know, some sort of consensual uh, agreement struck, then it's, uh, it is, you know, it's a big question mark, uh, what the Russians will do and whether they will, uh, whether they were, they will permit this to be renewed. It is super important because, uh, the, uh, Warn Ukraine's impacts on Syrian food sec- uh, food security uh, are kind of differentiated by region of the country. Um, you know, because of local conditions, because of the economic uh, organization of these areas, how they're oriented, uh, and then northwest Syria. Uh, you know, which is the area that is served by the uh, the cross border resolution. Um, so it is. It seems like it is not. Uh, vulnerable to some of the uh, uh, the factors at work in neighboring government-held areas because of the ways that it has been disconnected from them and then reconnected, instead institutionally, economically to Turkey. But it does seem super vulnerable to uh, the Ukraine war's effects uh, because Turkey itself is—it uh, seems like it will be substantially affected. Uh, I mean, Turkey is heavily reliant on wheat uh, from Ukraine and Russia. Uh, I mean, Turkey's own economy has been fragile uh, over the past year. Uh, And then uh, kind of, so uh, wheat flour, fuel, uh, they arrive to these areas over the border from Turkey. Uh, And then so they are, um, they're at real risk.
0: Aaron? Aaron? Can we uh, uh, talk about what other diplomatic uh, uh, spin-off effects there might be and 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 maybe you know you can segue as you speak into uh, talking a little bit about military deconfliction which is where where I want us to end up
2: yeah sure but I mean just adding to what Sam said there I think uh, one there, there's a, a slight uh bright spot here or a silver lining here, I think, that in that Russia really does not have an interest in sort of collapsing the northwest of Syria because the the arrangements around Idlib, as, you know, disputed and, and problematic as they are from Russia's point of view, um, they're still what underpins the Russian relationship with Turkey in that region uh, and in Syria as a whole. And Turkey and Russia have you know, they've maneuvered very carefully through the ukraine crisis turkey has especially uh turkey's now the, the mediator between russia and ukraine and and they're trying to steer a middle course even as they're you know while being a member of nato and it's clear that the turkish government wants to preserve its relationship to russia they're explicit about that erdogan has said that he what doesn't want to sacrifice relations with either ukraine or russia even though he condemns the, the invasion and i think it's clear that russia you know no matter how poorly the war goes in Ukraine, or even if it ends up turning in their favor eventually, whatever happens, they don't want to crash the relationship with with Turkey uh, on account of Ukraine. And Syria is a pretty big piece of that puzzle. And so, you know, given how important stability in Idlib and the humanitarian, you know, um, situation in Idlib is to Turkey uh, and to Syria's stability generally, uh, I think... There is an, you know, Russia does have an interest in making something work, and I think it was also slightly encouraging to see Russia taking its kind of a normal hardline pre-negotiation position in a statement recently on on the upcoming cross-border vote. They didn't sort of it didn't really stray from how Russia's rhetoric has sounded at this point in time during the earlier rounds of of, of this resolution being negotiated. So I'm not entirely pessimistic but I agree with Sam that it's very very dangerous it's 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 a big issue and it could end very very badly. Well,
0: so let, let's talk about deconfliction is uh I mean yes. is, is that different is that taking place in different channels than regular diplomacy so can we expect healthy deconfliction which I think is Crucial to, to to preventing things from 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 spiraling or accidental conflict from happening, and that involves Turkey, Russia, the U.S., and presumably other parties as well that are, are active in that space.
2: Yeah, I mean, like the, the the purely technical deconviction: you fly here, I fly there. That seems to be explicitly excluded from you know normal diplomacy, or explicitly separate from normal diplomacy, uh, at least in the U.S. Russian case. So relating to northeastern Syria. Uh, there's a military-to-military deconfliction channel there, and I haven't seen any evidence that it's been severed. I don't think either nation would want to sever it because, at this point, you know, it's more important than ever that they don't have any sort of unnecessary or unintended clashes in Syria or, or something that could spiral out of control there. As for Turkey, I don't know how it works, but given that Turkey has, uh, you know, is it has not severed contact with with Russia and doesn't intend to, I don't see. You know, deconfliction per se being in danger there. But again, if Turkish-Russian relations were to be destabilized by the Ukraine war, say if the negotiations fail or if the war drags on and Russia starts putting pressure on Turkey to allow ships, naval ships, to pass through the Bosporus again, that kind of thing, then then I think there there might be a temptation to use Syria for leverage against Turkey or even the other way around that Turkey tries to put pressure on Russia using Syria that could also happen um, so deconfliction as a mechanism I don't think it's necessarily in danger but but the principle of deconfliction could be in danger or the the willingness to adhere to deconfliction. Well
0: we, we only have a few minutes left and I, I want to end on that question which you, you've sort of raised implicitly twice now in our conversation uh, and that's um. How much should we worry that uh, that the conflict in Syria is about to witness an uptick uh, as foreign interventionary powers uh, might view it as a place to uh, increase the stress on Russia?
2: I think we should be worried about it. I'm, I don't think it's necessarily likely because I think there are strong incentives for all sides to not do that. Russia really doesn't need another conflict to manage right now. For example, Turkey wants to maintain its relationship with Russia. It doesn't need another crisis with Russia. The United States presumably also doesn't feel any great need for this at this moment. Uh, And so I I don't think it's necessarily likely, but it depends on what happens. Uh, And I, I also think it's important to remember that Syrians, even though they're shackled by external powers and patrons on all sides of the war, uh, they're not, you know, they're not mere puppets. They do have agency, and you do have also groups in Syria that do not really respond to command, or at least do not respond to them very well. So there could be local things that spiral out of control. You could have Assad doing something opportunistic, thinking that Russia will have to go along, or you could have Turkish-backed groups doing the same thing. There's a lot of things that could happen, and especially if the if we start seeing the the humanitarian and economic situation deteriorate dramatically because of Ukraine and perhaps also because of the cross-border resolution collapsing, then you could have uh, you know uh, the sense of responsibility and sort of caution that has existed to a degree on all sides, um, just out of fear of what could happen if you escalate it with with no you know with no plan for what's next that that caution could disappear as people become desperate and there builds up an internal pressure to do something
0: yeah i mean i i actually think well, re- region-wide and this will impact syria that almost every player that has some kind of uh regional reach is assessing uh uh Often delusionally, what kind of opportunities this uh, global crisis gives them? Uh, I've I've seen this elsewhere, and 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 I'm going to stick to my promise to to not talk about places other than Syria. So I won't say what and where, uh, but uh, to the the east and south and west of Syria is is a, is a hint. Um, and uh, and so that makes me worry that some of these historically foolish and miscalculating uh, uh 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 regional and 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 local powers might well think hey you know we could we could cash in this way or that way and oh yes maybe some more people will die or starve but so what um and that's 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 a fear that you know could play out over the course of, of a year to come uh but it's something that that does concern me uh sam uh we're almost out of time do you want to do you want to uh, pop in for a closing Closing minute or, or, or last? Well,
1: I mean, I just, I just wanted to add, and I think this is something that I uh, talk about a little uh, in this report, is that, uh, I mean, I do worry what might happen if you have a Russia in Syria that is less vested in Syria's stability, right? I mean, obviously, Russia's attention is currently elsewhere. Uh, you know, it is occupied in Ukraine. Uh, and so, like, I think you're probably unlikely to see kind of major kind of Russian uh, policy Entrepreneurship uh, in uh, in Syria, uh, but at the same time, over this past year, uh, you know, by virtue of this kind of seemingly, I mean, this uh, U.S.-Russian dialogue that was ongoing, this exploration of some of these uh, possibilities uh, for humanitarian compromise, uh, and then a seeming willingness on the American side uh, to do things like kind of better defining. The uh, the parameters of uh, U.S. sanctions, Um, you know, you had a U.S. and a Russia that were jointly interested in uh, kind of relative stability and quiet in Syria. Uh, How that played out was that, uh, I mean, at least uh, I've heard kind of officials um, say that they believe that uh, that Russia was a was a check. Uh, on the Syrian military's tactics uh, as Damascus uh, was kind of reasserting its control more fully uh, in Dara, in the Syria Southwest last year. Uh, And additionally, um, you know, you had Turkey uh, agitate for what looked like, you know, or threaten explicitly, actually, a uh, a new military intervention in Syria against the U.S.'s uh, Kurdish-led Syrian partners uh, as late as October and November of last year, right? And at the time, uh, you know, I was told that both uh, uh, the Russians and the Americans told the Turks, no, this is unwelcome, right? Uh, So what happens if, you know, hypothetically, uh, the Turks kind of start agitating for something similar uh, and then uh, you know they they encounter American resistance, but then maybe you know Russian receptivity, right? If uh, if Russia has less to gain uh, from this sort of effective,
0: yeah, this is compact. This is one of those wild cards because we're looking at at Russia as a malign actor in Ukraine, and and paradoxically or 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 surprisingly, you're saying in in Syria they may have in recent times been a force. For restraint, uh, and with that motive, well,
1: you know, in extremely relative terms.
0: Yeah, I mean, with with a ton right. of caveat. I mean, so this
1: is a restraint on whatever. I mean, this is kind of moderating something that was is still bad, and then. But
0: I think right the, the uh, I guess the, the idea, idea is that much worse. that abuse of the population and, and war crimes by uh, victorious uh, Syrian regime Syrian government soldiers uh, uh, has been bad, but it could it could apparently be worse. Uh, so we're gonna have to leave it there. Uh, thanks to both of you. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and I've been talking to Sam Heller uh, in Beirut and Aaron Lund in Stockholm. Uh, this is Order from Ashes, Century International's podcast about international affairs, and we've been talking about. The Ukraine War's Impact on Syria. Uh, Sam, uh, Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks. And I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, later this month, the week of April 25th, we're launching a new season of the Order from Ashes podcast. This will be the Transnational Trends in Citizenship season hosted by Naira Antoon, the director of our Transnational Trends and Citizenship Project. She's brought together uh, experts from the Middle East, North Africa region and their counterparts in Europe and North America who work on similar issues, protests, police accountability, militias, uh, and gender and sexuality, and uh, finding out what they can learn by putting their objects of research and policy study uh, into the same frame. Uh, so I look forward to uh, having that those podcasts start to drop the week of April 25th, and I hope you'll enjoy them as much as we've enjoyed producing them. Thanks uh, for listening. The Order from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.